Welcome to the Nursing and Midwifery Emporium podcast, a podcast about this nursing life. I'm Nicole Nash-Arnold from Nurse Manager HQ. And I'm Sue Walker from the Nursing CPD Institute. And together each week, we seek out interesting people to discover what a red-hot nursing life looks like. Today I welcome to this Nursing Life microphone is Ben Jenkins. Ben is a fellow podcaster with his niche being supporting students and experienced nurses who are interested in following the journey of a new graduate nurse. Ben started his grad year in 2018 in the ICU and shares of experiences, his thoughts, his feelings of what it's like to be a grad, particularly in the high acuity, high pressure ICU setting. But first, Ben... New Grad Radio is a fabulous initiative and it gives amazing insights into the experiences of a grad nurse. Tell me about what prompted you to get out there and produce this podcast. I'll start off with, hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me on the Nursing Midwifery Emporium podcast. And wherever Sue is today, I want to give a shout out to her. I think you're both doing an absolutely incredible job and it's such such an honour to be on your podcast today. Well said. We'll talk about that after when we talk about (laughs) I'll tell how much Sue paid me to say that. Yeah. When it started, I um, graduated in the end of 2017 with a double degree in nursing and paramedicine. Then at the end of that, as you're all nervous, as all student nurses are, as you're going for your grad positions, I was lucky enough to, to get one in a, one of Queensland's major trauma centres uh, in the intensive care unit. But it was in that period there where I, I was just trying to, try to find out a bit of information about what I'm going to be stepping into. I had a lot of different placements throughout uni and I was very fortunate to go to a uni where I had specialist paramedic placements as well. So I did the nursing component where I had ED and had a theatre placement, the paramedic on-road placements. But the uni I went to had a specialty in-hospital placements as a paramedic. So that means that I was able to do things like some extra time uh, within the Royal Children's Hospital, within the emergency department. You'd have obstetrics, so four days delivering babies and a host of other ones. But the only placement that I didn't get was in intensive care. So me being me, I'd like to um, challenge myself as much as absolutely possible. And I knew that mechanical ventilation and caring for some quite unwell patients was something that I really wanted to do. So as I was looking and trying to research about what I'm going to step into, since I've never been within intensive care before, yeah. I started just doing all of the Googling, all of the research as possible. And there just was not a lot of information about it. You had a few paragraphs here and there about overall what their experience had been like. And that was mostly from uh, an American sort of source. And there was just nothing I could find from, from an Australian reference. So I'd actually started. So I was those first few weeks into the job. I was within my pre- preceptorship period. And I don't know if you, you can recall in your career, Nicole, but seeing your very first sedated, intubated patient, here you are going through all of your different student placements and usually caring for well patients who are able to talk back. But as soon as I started seeing most patients within the entire city that I was working in being intubated, sedated, often paralysed, that's like such a confronting feeling. So mm. I, I figured that the, these are just weren't normal experiences that I was facing every day. These were caring for just very unwell patients. And I felt like I was onto something where this was something special and I felt like this was something that if I'm getting to experience this, I'd very much like to, to share these experiences with others. So 
It's just a way in which I'm literally documenting my experiences from absolute beginning of my graduate program and it follows my journey all the way through to the end of my time in ICU. And I've come back for a second season this season. Uh, we're about to finish off this season where I've um, gone into the emergency department as well. And I think it is mm. so valuable because it is something that's hard to know what to expect. It's like a reality TV show in a way. It's just a raw experience around what your journey has been like. No, exactly right. So, it's, again, I remember you saying in one of the other episodes that you made uh, talking about that the nursing really is such a contact sport. It's something where, you, and again, you've got to be in it, you've got to be doing it, and it's not until you get in and start doing it that you start to understand. Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to really portray. It's not about this podcast being something where looking back on my time and talking in big chunks of time, it's something that this was my day today, this is what I've experienced, and here is my journey as I'm going through it. I recently signed a pledge that's going around on LinkedIn and for a campaign that's called Nurses Support Their Young, which of course is a little twist on Nurses Eat Their Young. And for you and from your experience as a grad nurse, what are your thoughts on that? Are we getting better at eating our young or getting better at not eating our young or is it um, still pretty rough out there? I think it comes down to whatever unit and the culture of that unit that you're working in. I was very fortunate and I remember the day that I walked through this particular intensive care unit as I was going through one of the open days. And as I was walking through with the numb, who was the most supportive person I've ever met, and we're going past all of the bed spaces, and I can dead set recall to this day, just looking in every single bed space, and these nurses are looking at us walking through, and they're smiling. And every single one of the people were look as if they were super happy to be working there. Mm. Uh, and that was one of the major reasons that I ended up wanting to come to this ICU was because of that. But as you know, you start into the job and there's always going to be some people having a grumpy day. But I've, I've found that the areas that I found the most conflict was when I stepped out of the intensive care unit, when I was dropping patients off to other wards. And, and sometimes, especially when you start, the, the patient's not always as pretty tight in a bow as you'd like it to be. Because yeah. you, you're, still, you're still learning and you're trying to learn how to deliver a handover and the information that those particular nurses within that specialty area would like the information to be told. So... I found in the initial aspects of trying to hand over, uh, I found that a, a bit difficult and I've had a bit of pushback at times, but the more that I started to understand that the easier it started to get. And then in a whole, I've, I've found that the, the culture within nursing has been, been very good. And I think that actually brings up a really good point about your learning. So they're not boxed up with a pink bow as well as what you could do at year two, year three, year five, year 20. Mm. And I haven't been a novice for a long time. And I think back to my own grad year, which was in 1994, and I have rather faded memories of a lot of anxiety, a lot of self-doubt, a heap Mm. of second guessing, and an immense relief when perhaps it was 18 months, two years later, where I felt like I could finally do something independently and competently is that one of the reasons why you started new grad radio to reacquaint people like me who haven't been a novice for some time to remember those days that we push back to the back of our minds pretty quickly I, I didn't even know what I was trying to do when I first started like I knew in mind that this was something I'm just wanting to share and it's just documenting that experience for Initially, it was going to be for thinking of people coming through uni and as they've sort of graduated, they can go into their graduate program. And as you sort of may see in some of the episodes, yes, some of them are specific to ICU, being that I'm talking about my first time dealing with someone who is mechanically ventilated, someone who I'm starting the use of inotropes and vasopressors. But 
I'm also putting as much emphasis onto starting as a graduate. So dealing with work-life balance, dealing with working on my very first night shift. I wanted to make it as general as possible for that real grad experience. But what I started to find was that I started getting these messages from experienced nurses from other areas who are looking at coming into intensive care, but also from some more management positions as well, saying that providing such a good insight into what our junior staff are going through as well. So it actually turned into something a lot larger than I ever expected it to be. And um, it's nice to know that it is providing insight to, to people who've been doing this for quite a while as well. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I talk about quite a lot is career transition. And a nurse's career is a really long time. It's likely to span 50 years, which is a ridiculously long time to spend in one specialty. And that's always been one of the great attractions of nursing is that you can say nursing's amazing, it's so diverse, you can do so many different things. The barrier, however, is the terrifying thought of being a novice again. So from your point of view, what would you say to the experiences out there who have always wanted to do something, say, midwifery, yet after 30 years of orthopaedic experience, the novice fear is holding them back? And look, I'm seeing this every day within intensive care. So I've, I've stepped back into the intensive care unit this year. So I'm fortunate to do one day a week in ICU and the rest of the week in emergency. That in itself has been an incredible experience. But as you mentioned, there's a lot of nurses who are coming from these other areas. And the first thing that they recognise within their first few weeks and months working in this ICU is that it is difficult. And their exact words are, it feels like I'm a brand new grad again. Yes. But I think where you talked about in one of your other episodes, Nicole, talking about the nursing culture is, again, if you find that right environment where you feel safe to make, not make mistakes, but feel safe in order to look as if that you're brand new again, and you can see it in these specialty areas as well. I go to the ward and you can see some nurses where they've been doing this for a long time. They know the routine. They know what handover they want to receive. Same in emergency. You go into there, you know in the acute bed space that you you know you need to take the 12-litre ECG, you need to take the bloods and put a cannula in, all that sort of stuff. Like you get so used to doing what you're doing. But when you come into it, a, such a foreign area such as intensive care where it's so highly specialised and it's unlike anything else, that you do have to eat a bit of that humble pie and just and just sort of mention that, yes, I am brand new, but have the attitude that you're just ready to, to come in and learn. Because as soon as you mention that and you're not trying to come in and, and posture and, and yeah. say, well, back in my unit, I used to do that. If you're, if you're willing to come in and just sort of be like, you know what? Yes, I have a lot of experience. But I'm wanting to make this career change. I can't wait to be here and learn as much as I can in a whole. If you find the right environment, people are more than willing to help you as much as possible. And that's why one of the reasons I do talk about nursing culture so much because it is a make or break thing. You think it's this sort of nebulous and nice to have thing, but it makes a massive difference, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. And if it wasn't for this particular unit, uh, I just want to say up front as well, like when I was going through my application to get into my graduate program, and that's, that's why I mentioned that little, that little snippet before about going through the unit and seeing all the people smiling. I can also recall as I was going through some other graduate applications, I mentioned that I was looking at going into intensive care. I remember two of the particular interviews, the interviewers literally laughed at me and they said that in no way should a graduate nurse be going into intensive care within their first rotation. You should be getting at least a few years of ward experience before you would look at getting into anywhere such as ICU, especially in ICU at a major trauma centre. So. That was one of those moments where I'm like, well, if, if that's your attitude, fair enough. I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say. It's not something I completely agree with, but I know that if that's their attitude, being someone who's wanting to recruit you, well, then no, this does not sound like the area that I want to be applying to. 
And isn't that the most overlooked part of the application process is that they're interviewing you, but you're interviewing them as well? Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. And this is, again, being someone so early on to their career now being almost two years through. And I'm receiving emails from student nurses about to come into their grad program. You've got some absolutely highly motivated young people coming through that are wanting to maximise their opportunities as nurses. They're wanting to to push themselves in order to fit into the team and to, to keep pushing their skills to, as hard as they can. So if you've got people that want to be within these areas, that have pushed hard for it, that have the smarts, that have the drive, why not? And mm. that's something else I wanted to really show within this as well. I've had a lot yeah. of people to start with sort of say that it can't be done. Not why I started the podcast, but again, it's a reflection of, yes, it can. It, mm. it really can. And you can thrive within an area if you have the right environment and if you push hard enough. And you're a dual qualified nurse as well. So having that dual degree in nursing and paramedicine, for the listeners out there that are considering that, what's great and maybe not so great about having that dual degree? Sure. I think the way that you come into your graduate program, having done the double degrees uh, and the way that the degree is taught, you'll have the fundamentals of your paramedicine, the fundamentals of nursing, but you'll go into things such as, you know, learning about the respiratory system or you're learning about the cardiovascular system and you'll see it from the in-hospital perspective, being your, your nursing classes, but you'll also almost in the same semester be learning it from the on-road pre-hospital perspective as well. You're seeing it from just different perspectives. And I found that because it was taught almost twice, this fundamental information, it really was able to stick that information into my head. And so when you're going onto road, paramedicine is taught very much from the book. If you come in for chest pain, this is the chest pain protocol. When you drill it over and over and the way that you learn paramedicine is you literally go in with a jockey and driver. So you, you go in as a team of two, you see the, the scenario in front of you and you're directly applying the information that you've learned in class into using your guidelines on a scenario, on, on a patient. Constant repetition. And, you, and then you marry that to the depth of knowledge that you learn from your nursing degree. And when you combine those two together, I found that the information that I was able to, to bring into my grad year was, was, was really good. And I think it was really yeah. the way that you taught, taught doing these scenarios especially was what really reinforced this fundamental knowledge. And I see on your Facebook page you're off to do some time in the military soon. So tell me about that. It sounds an amazing opportunity to see some incredibly diverse clinical situations. No, exactly right. So I was very fortunate within my start of my third year of my four-year degrees uh, to receive a Defence University sponsorship scheme from the Australian Army. And what that involves is that you are paid a wage from the time that you are sponsored, you receive the rest of your time sponsored by Defence. Uh, and once you finish your undergrad, you then go on to do two placement years. So that's what I'm finishing up with now. And so coming into my two years, I knew that's why I wanted to go into ICU and that's why I wanted to go into ED. I knew I only had two years of experience in order to gain as, as much experience as possible. So that's why I pushed as hard as I did. So I knew I had such yeah. a small amount of time to learn so, so much. So this year, I was also fortunate to, to go into two of my four major nursing courses that I'm to go on to uh, before that I'm deemed fully deployable and usable by the Army. Next year, I, they post into my very first posting. Um, that's going to be up to Townsville. So I'll move up. Excellent. I'll move up there. And my job Monday to Friday is going to be on the military base as a, as a nursing officer in defence. 
It's exciting. It'll be really different. Oh, I will be. Yeah, I'm, I am very much excited for it. There's uh, especially next year when uh, Townsville, uh, at the end of next year, Townsville turns into what they call the ready force. So it means if anything does happen, well, then Townsville is uh, the, one of the major players that they go off first. So it means that you're, you're doing a lot of different exercises. You're doing a lot of different time in field. You're constantly practicing skills and scenarios. Uh, so that when anything does arise, well, then you're, you're fully ready to go. So I can't wait to learn what I've and to apply what I've learned over the last two years within that job. Based on all of your experience as a grad and sharing that with the world over the last two years, what is it that you wish all nurses knew so they could live their best nursing life? I think just keeping it really basic and just knowing that whatever is happening at the time, no matter what sort of leadership position you're in or whether you're a graduate nurse, we're all in it for the patient. I think as we keep that in mind, well, then I think that no matter if someone's not, not being so friendly that day or someone's not, not, um, not happy with your handover or, or whether you didn't get everything done on time, I think just keeping in mind at the base level that if that's, if that's the way it is right now, I always keep in the back of my mind that, that it is the way it is. It's not changing right now. Just keep in mind that we're always pushing forward for the patient in mind. That's something someone said to me, like everyone says it's a 24-hour care, not everything gets done on time, that's why we have other nurses taking over. And when you're first starting, you, you're really wanting to, to demonstrate that you're an effective member of that team. If I can share anything, it is that with this podcast, is that what you're hearing from me throughout this time is, is how I'm feeling at the time. And other people mentioning to me saying like, that's how I felt too when I was going through at that stage as well. So. I always keep in the back yeah. of my mind that, you know what, yes, you may be having a rough day. Yes, it may be hard at this time. But as long as I'm giving it my all, I'm putting in the hard yards, I'm working as an effective member of the team, I'm trying to be better than I was yesterday and I'm just trying to do the best I can for my patient. Brilliant. Ben, thanks so much for being our guest at the Nursing and Midwifery Emporiums podcast today and sharing everything that you're doing to support grads out there and the experienced nurses that have got novice fear and that that might help them just go, yep, I'm going to do it. So, you know, it's amazing to recall what it's like to feel like a novice again mm. and it's really empowering. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on today, Nick. See All you soon. Right. Bye. Bye. Sue. Yes. yes. Wasn't Ben lovely? He was gorgeous. I think he has had a very interesting and diverse graduate experience. Mm, he has. That's what I love about his podcast is that it's an incredible resource for whatever niche you're looking for getting into. And it's not necessarily just ICU. It's very raw and organic, but insights that you wouldn't normally have in terms of the experience of the grad. Because certainly it was a long time that I walked in those shoes and I've forgotten. Oh, God, I've forgotten. I've been... How long have I been nursing? I've been nursing for 40-odd years, Nick. Mm. So <laughs> Noah was building the ark while I was going through my training, let me tell you. You had the privilege of doing hospital-based training. I did, I did. I completed my training in 1981 and that was the thing that I found so interesting with Ben's discussion that he never had uh, an ICU placement. And I thought to myself, that's amazing. How mm -hmm. can you finish a clinical degree and not have gone to high dependency area? Yeah, but then I you didn't. 
No, no. that's what that no. we had the discussion. You were telling me your experience. No, in my degree, I did it. My first year was aged care. My whole second year was mental health. And then the third year was biophysical. So I think in the first six months, I went to the a neurosurgical unit and the second I went to a respiratory unit and when I say went to in six months in that semester we did block placements so it was like a two-week or six-week block so in terms of my little nursing feet touching the floors of a ward was in terms of an actual hospital environment and an acute care facility I don't think it would even be eight weeks <laughs> So I didn't do peds, ICU, ED, obstetrics, nothing, just a surgical ward and a, a respiratory. And, you know, and sadly, the way we've done our graduate year within our profession, not everyone even gets that exposure. And I was having no. this discussion, I think you and I were having this discussion with uh, Pam Savage, the barrister, and when nursing was going into the universities, everyone wanted it to be a four-year course, you know, three years as it stands now, and then one year, which would have been your graduate year under the mm. preceptorship of the university. And, of course, you know, money talks louder than common sense, and it never eventuated, but the discussion was, well, you know, everyone will, you know, realistically everyone would get a grad year anyway, and that's not the case. Mm. So to find yourself in a situation when your peers are expecting you to function as a clinician and not have had even a taste of that experience within the three years that you undertook your degree, it must be exceptionally daunting. I was extremely daunted. And in fact, I, in the blog post that I've attached to the publishing of this article, I tell a story about how in my first few weeks as a grad in a, in the Wesley Hospital here, so it was in, nine, in the early 90s and the Wesley had just been refurbished, so it was beautiful. And that was at a time, if you recall, that no hospital it was still a very clinical environment. Mm. And so you walked into the Wesley and it was more like a hotel than it was a hospital. But I had arrived with all of my university principals and walked into handover and they're talking about this old bloke who was, uh, his mobility was impaired that he couldn't possibly go to the ward shower and he needed to be bathed in bed. And I remember thinking with so much indignance of how could these nurses possibly consider themselves holistic nurses and not go to the extra effort of giving him a proper shower. So armed with the arrogance, of my arrogance, I bundled him up onto the shower chair and he was totally incontinent from one end of the ward to the other oh, of this beautifully renovated carpeted ward <laughs> which he was non-verbal so he'd looked at me 10 times like sweetie this ain't gonna work yeah. and when we got there he looked at me like eh, see told you and the nuns barreled in like you idiot but I was a long way from work ready yeah. I can assure you and and the sad part is then rather than that being a reflection on the rest of the nursing team being able to orientate you into that setting. So despite the fact that, you know, it was a galactic error of judgment, the nurses that I worked with provided me a very soft landing as a graduate and were really, really supportive and it made an incredible difference to my professional development in that year. 
And I think if you do have that supportive environment, then it would be a great thing. But there's a difference between being supportive and teaching and mentoring and sharing than some environments where everyone just stands back and watches the new grad struggle. Yeah, and that was one of the really interesting points that Ben made was that when I was asking him about give us a little bit of a report card. Are nurses eating our young or are we supporting our young? And his commentary was around, you know, my environment, everyone's brilliant, but sometimes when I go and drop off patients and they're not as pinked bow as they could be, then he gets a bit of pushback. And that's where things get a little bit blurry in terms of that's what eating yellow young looks like. And I've only just read about this concept of communities in practice, communities of practice, which in the research is bodies of experienced nurses who form a community to teach, provide in services, direct them to educational development opportunities, to coach, to mentor, to direct, to do a lot of things that it is around offering a soft landing and offering them a tribe. And in one instance, he got that and outside of that environment, he didn't. Yes. And coming to the novice point is we can all be novices. You can be working in a medical unit for six years and then find yourself wanting to then go and work in ED. And even though you may have 10 years post-grad clinical experience, you are now back to being a novice. You know, Jack, in that area. Mm. Absolutely. In fact, I think I've talked about this before in that I'd spent um, 15, 10, 15 years in the operating theatre and was, you know, had a reasonable level of expertise. And then I became an after hours coordinator and I didn't know what the word troponin meant. Like I'd never, we just don't do troponin in the operating theatre when you're scrubbing for total joints. So I was back to being a novice even in that context and it's very unsettling and you do need a community of practice of people who are going to be able to go, Nicole, God, goodness sake, you know, here's what troponin is, you know, and they go to the cardiac ward, that's where you need to bed them. And so that makes a big difference as opposed to being judgy and people chipping you or tutting or, you know, huffing off. That's how people grow. And it's a difficult situation, isn't it? Because you can't know everything. Like it's healthcare is an encyclopedic knowledge base that, mm. that's required. And that's why there are specialist areas and that's why someone who's worked in one area for a very long time is seen as an expert. And when I walk through the door, you can obviously pinpoint me being the novice. Both mm. of us bring knowledge and skill. It's just that... We need to be able to, as a novice, I need to be able to identify that I've not worked in this area for a long time and I'm going to need assistance and can I rely on you because I'm going to ask you a million questions. And the expert needs to say to me, Sue, I know you've not worked in this area before. Let me take you through an orientation and the basics and I'm going to be here for you to mm. ask me anything you want and I'll just keep an eye out on you just to make sure that the patients are going to have a great outcome, you're going to have a great day and Bob's your uncle. 
In fact, when I was the educator of the operating theatre, we changed the name of our graduate program to Novice Practitioner Program Mm. and actively recruited graduates or experienced nurses. And there was one nurse who'd been a midwife and a neonatal intensive care nurse for 30 years and had always wanted to work in the operating theatre. Because of just the name change, she would never have applied for a graduate program. But because it was a Novice Practitioner Program, it was the exact same program. But the success of it relied on that community of practice and that that nursing culture was there, providing them an opportunity, providing her as well as her graduate counterparts an opportunity to say stupid stuff in a safe place. Yeah, and and the safe place is the the key thing, that she Mm. could feel safe in identifying that she had a knowledge deficit in this specialty but brings all her wealth of previous experience to it. And while she learns the specificity of the specialty that she's working in, I think that's a, a fabulous concept. And it was brilliant too because when we did have neonates that passed through our operating theatre, which in that particular hospital wasn't very often, and or we had labouring or any kind of, which again wasn't very often, she was this incredible wealth of knowledge, incredible resource into our department that we didn't previously have such ready access to. Mm. And so there's the experienced perioperative nurses. We got to say, I don't have the first clue about obstetrics. Could you just explain to me what this is all about again? And, you know, what's this placenta and the three vessels? And she was really expert and we weren't. And it was really, really valuable. But it took us, took that community of practice to be able to go, we can say stupid stuff to you too and ask you questions. And it was really healthy and it added to the diversity of our culture. And I think it was when Ben said that he just, his aim is to be the best nurse he can be for the patient. Mm. And, yeah. and in order to do that, from what he talked about in his graduate experience, he needed a posse of expert clinicians that he could draw on that he knew had his back. Mm. and that were willing to step up. And the interesting thing was that should not be aberrant because our actual competencies that drive our professional practice actually identify that we are responsible for coaching and mentoring and educating. Like that is the definition of a professional. That is exactly right, Nick. That is what we do. So there should never be a novice, whether that be I've worked for 10 years somewhere else but I've never been here, or a new graduate in that I'm new to the profession, please help me orientate my knowledge to enhance skills. No one should ever feel anything other than supported Mm. by way of the fact that we should be doing all this stuff. And there are those of us that may say things like, but you should know, you know, you should know X, Y, and Z. There's no should know. Like you said, nursing is such a vast body of knowledge that is required. There's no checklist. We're not accountants that are coming out with, you know, we do know how to do the end of financial year reports and balance the books. You know, there's not necessarily a specific list of tasks no there was that no we come out with and no one handed down 10 things you've got to do <laughs> no 
Um, so I think that's one of the things that I have to get out of our heads in that you should have known that this patient needed this, that or something else. That's where coaching comes in. That's right. You ask the coaching questions. Did you know and just forgot because you had a brain fart? And if that's the case, that's okay. Did you know because there's a knowledge gap, a skills gap, a practice gap? Like that's where you probe. And then once you identify it in the novice, then you address it. If that person's got 15 years and they don't know it, then that's something else. But you can't expect it from the novice, whether they be a graduate or otherwise, because that's not creating a safe space for them to make mistakes. That's right. And when we spoke about that podcast that we did with Evelyn on bullying, the issue of, of bullying is that they're humiliated, that they do not feel part of the tribe. And by pointing the finger at someone and said, you know, you should have known that, like, what is that doing? Mm-hmm. That's humiliating them. They don't feel mm. part of the tribe. So we we need to be far more inclusive in order to get people through their initial orientation into the profession as a whole and the specialty in particular mm. with their emotional being intact but also getting the best possible outcome for that client. And if I'm the expert clinician and I know that you are the novice, then it's on me to ensure that I do coach you and oversight you because I'm responsible for the outcome for those clients as well. Yeah, and you can't do that if you're running around primary nursing a ward of 30 patients because you're in charge. That The power of delegation means that in those senior roles, you're paid to think not to do. So some of that thinking is watching and giving your novice practitioners enough rope to hang themselves and then swanning in so that no harm is endured. Uh, But they get to learn the lesson and you get to debrief and you get to provide them opportunities for professional growth. But lording over them like Darth Vader is not going to work. No, you need to have an understanding of where their knowledge base sits in relation to the acuity of the client they've been allocated. And Mm. once you've got that sorted in your head, then you can have the conversation with them and work out how you're going to best, you know, manage both both individuals. Mm. And that's the Canadian goose analogy, isn't it? I love the goose. I do, I know, and for those who haven't listened to Evelyn's podcast, she has an analogy that the Canadian geese fly in formation and the strong are up the front, but if the strong one today is not so strong or injured or sick, then it falls behind and another takes the lead. And if you continue that analogy, these grads and novices are the injured or flailing geese for a while probably for a full year, but you they will come strong and then one day when you're not so strong, they'll take the lead for you. But that's part of being a tribe, that's part of the community of practice and that's part of recognising that once upon a time you're a novice too. And listening to Ben's podcast when I was preparing for his interview, there were so many times that I thought, oh, I forgot that I felt like that. I really, that really resonated with me. And I literally haven't thought about it for 25 years. And that would change my approach if I was dealing and facing a novice today, then that would be front of mind. So his podcast is so powerful for all of us, for those that are going through it and need a little bit of support of a reality 
TV show in in a way, and for those of us who experience to remember what that what that is like and how hard it can be some days. We've got a link to his podcast, haven't we? We do, Excellent. indeed. So go and go and have a listen. Go and have a listen mm. and see how, if you're an expert clinician, how you can impact good, bad, or indifferent. Mm. on on uh, a new graduate and reacquaint yourself what it feels like to not know but have the expectation of all these senior clinicians' eyes looking at you waiting for you to, you know, yeah. make a furphy. And make it available for your grads and novices yes. as well, yes. I think. That's right. Because mm. he, he he's leaving it up there, isn't it? Yeah, it's be up there permanently. It'll always be there, I think. Yeah, so he's done two seasons. Uh, the first when he was a novice in the ICU and then his second year in ED where he still did a bit of ICU. Now next year he's moving on to work for the military and doing a term up in Townsville and he's moving on to something else. But that will always be relevant. It's the classic evergreen content that will be fabulous for experience to reacquaint themselves. For We will have novice novices and graduates forever, but also for those of us that are thinking about returning to being a novice because we really want to be a theatre nurse and you've been a neonatal intensive care nurse for 10 years, it's a good resource for that as well. So it'll always be there. And how fabulous are we that we can do that? I know. I think so too. I think it's brilliant. Like, you know, you could never be bored. No, that's true. You could never be bored being a nurse. There's loads of resources. And I can't wait for you to interview Ben after he's been working in, is it the army he's going into? Yeah, he's going up to the army up to Townsville. Wouldn't that be uh, an so that will be Yeah, oh, we're going to get him back. Yeah. I'll, um, definitely going to get him back and see how he's travelling and what he's doing, if he's willing. I'm sure he will be. He's a Surely. nice man. Oh, no. He is. He's lovely. He is. On that happy note. All right, Sue. <laughs> see you soon. See you soon, Nick. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Nursing and Midwifery Emporium. Make sure you visit us at the website www.nmemporium.com to subscribe to the podcast. And if you'd like to put someone forward for us to interview, go to the same website and just click on the button. See you guys. Take care. Bye.